0: Welcome to Ariel Talk Time, hosted by business intuitive, entrepreneur, and founder of Ariel, Victoria Lynn Weston. Listen to her thought-provoking interviews with inspiring leaders, creators, and intuitive thinkers who share their stories and lifestyle tips to enhance your way of living. And we're inviting you to join our conversation. If you like this interview, please post a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Before I introduce my guests, I want to give a shout out to Studio Carlton. They are the producers and developers of custom Alexa skills. For those of you who are looking into the future and who isn't, developing a custom Alexa skill that meets your customer needs can be an effective way to support your business mission. If your business is considering entering the voice market, a custom Alexa skill could be a perfect jumping off point to expand your brand and gain recognition on a innovative voice platform. Go to studiocarlton.com, learn all about it, and if you want to reach out to them directly, then send an email, partner at studiocarlton.com. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been told to just relax? Of course you have. We all have, but sometimes it seems impossible, doesn't it? Well, you're not alone, and I'm certainly not alone. Well, my guest today is Dr. Loretta Bruning, and she is going to talk to us about the seven habits of a healthy brain. April is Stress Awareness Month, so it's a perfect time for all of us to check this out and manage our anxiety so we can lower our stress. Loretta, it's a pleasure to have you here, and I want to introduce you formally as Dr. Loretta Bruning. You are the founder of Inner Mammal Institute and the author of a brand new book titled Tame Your Anxiety, Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness. There's a lot I want to dive into, but the first question I have is, what is anxiety and is it a disease?
1: Humans have had anxiety since our species began, and the idea of labeling it as a disease is not necessarily good for people because it leads people to the expectation that somebody else is going to cure it for you. And if the first practitioner doesn't cure it for you, then you've gotten bad service and you should look for another. And so what I'm offering is an understanding of the deeper origins of anxiety so people can sort of feel comfortable with it and not see it as a crisis Uh, despite the fact that it's the chemical is designed to make you feel like you're in a crisis so that's the complication
0: Hmm. and what kind of chemical is anxiety so the one i talk the most about is
1: cortisol Um, some people talk about adrenaline and we can discuss that but Uh, Cortisol is the chemical that evolved to create a sense of urgent threat. So, for example, it's so cool, like when a fish swims into water that has very little oxygen, the fish's cortisol turns on and it finds new water. It's like urgent threat feeling Mm -hmm. Uh, when a reptile is under a rock hiding from predators, but then its body temperature falls too low. Cortisol says, You're urgently threatened. You've got to go out in the sun and warm up, even though you're scared. So, um, cortisol is the threat chemical that helped our ancestors do what it takes to meet their needs.
0: Hmm. So cortisol also is like something that gives us an urgent feeling. If we're in the car, we're running 15 minutes late for an appointment and we get that urgency (laughs) that triggers the cortisol.
1: Exactly. Now, consciously, you don't think you're being um, chased by a predator. So here's how it works. Cortisol. Builds neural pathways. So when you were young, you were born with no neural pathways. Our pathways are built from life experience. So whatever made you feel threatened when you were young built pathways. So when you're late for a meeting, then you, let's just call it shame. Like, oh, I'm going to shame myself. I'm going to mess up. And that's an old neural pathway that's turned on or whatever past distress that you're turning on with a new situation that's similar because our brain evolved to warn us so that we don't touch a hot stove
0: twice. Hmm. Okay, so we got this urgent thing going and, and people are rushing to get to their appointment of that. Is it possible for people to be addicted to cortisol? Oh, that's a really good
1: <laughs> good question.
0: Because now sometimes, you know, being that urgent feeling can be exciting.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is such a big question. So I'm going to just maybe divide it into two parts. So one is adrenaline versus cortisol. And the other is the um. so our, our brain seeks rewards. That's how our ancestors survived by seeking reward. So how can feel ba- uh, feeling bad seek a reward? Maybe because you think that just on the other side of this emergency is a reward or one way of looking at it is putting out fires feels good. Relieving a threat feels good. It feels sort of heroic. It tells you this is what I need to focus on right now. But another whole separate explanation is not that it's addictive in the sense that it's rewarding, but that your brain chemistry, okay, the electricity in your brain flows into the pathways you have until you build new pathways. So your cortisol pathway is huge because our brain evolved to prioritize threat over reward because a threat can kill you really fast. So your brain just goes into that threat circuit so quickly because the circuit is so efficient. Whereas if you have a different explanation of the situation, like a, a simple example, if I'm late for a meeting and I tell myself, well, half the time I get there and the meeting hasn't started yet anyway. Or maybe I'll learn something by being late for this meeting. Maybe something good will come out of it. Or, you know, so so you give yourself another explanation. But that other explanation is a new pathway in your brain and new pathways are not well-developed. So it's hard to get the electricity to flow there.
0: Interesting. Sometimes I see that urgent feeling um, is a challenge and – I'm I'm one of those people that I'm never late and I'm always on time. I like to be fifteen minutes early so I can kinda regroup and all that. But there are those moments in life where the traffic is, you know, can create uh, you know, a a concern about being, you know, late. And but then I'll I'll tell myself, Well, this is a challenge, you know, and I can be there earlier I can figure out take a different route and I can actually be five minutes early. So I end up seeing urgency as as a challenge sometimes. So that cortisone, am I using cortisone then and then something else? Uh, yeah yeah so and by the way it's cortisol not
1: cortisone okay. it's um totally different unfortunately <laughs> um uh, cort just is a is sort of meaning the outside layer of something actually Okay <laughs> <Well>,
0: okay <good,
1: laughs> so, I didn't know that um, so What you are doing is what um, therapists would call positive reframing, and that's great, and what it does is stimulates dopamine. So dopamine is a brain chemical you get when you expect a reward. So you're basically, and then serotonin, this is complicated, but when you feel yourself in the position of superiority, which is very taboo, but our monkey brain is always seeking the position of superiority and strength. Let's call it strength. So you're saying I'm building my strength by managing this present crisis and your brain rewards you with serotonin which is fabulous. Very
0: interesting. Well let's go on to this question. How is everyone's experience with anxiety different and how does our brain wire itself from its own experience? Very good question, because, you know, some people love roller coasters and other people
1: hate roller coasters. Right. Simple example. So um, uh, we're all born with billions of neural pathways, but almost no connections between them. Almost the only skill we have at birth is crying and crying is a big surge of cortisol. And um, animals don't really cry, but um, humans are born more helpless than all other animals. And so helplessness and desperation is sort of like our first behavior. And then as we gradually learn more skills for meeting our needs and soothing ourselves and expecting rewards, but then we discover new challenges. So each brain is wired by its own challenges. So neurons connect. When cortisol flows and the most mind blowing example I heard of that, um, I heard this story of a girl who had a panic attack whenever she heard laughter. And it turns out that she was in a fatal car accident. She was in the backseat of a car and she was laughing and partying at the moment of impact. Oh my and gosh. she yeah, and she ended up in a in a coma. And when she woke up from the coma, she was told that her friends were dead. And so her brain, that was a huge amount of cortisol, right? So her brain built a connection between whatever was happening at that moment and the the pain. And so that's how our brain works. It's not logical, but you could see how in the nonverbal animal world, whatever is going on at the moment when you feel bad or the moment when you feel good, Your brain paves all those neural pathways, they all get connected, and electricity flows there the next time you see something similar, which is why one person gets upset for one thing
0: and one person gets upset for another thing, and we all struggle to figure out our own responses. Very interesting. What are the seven primary taming tools, building power over our brain chemistry to rewire responses to stress? I
1: see it in, there were seven in my book, but I see it very individually. And so each individual, I call it stocking your pantry with taming tools. And I say, build the well before you need the water, which is to say, we can build neural pathways to soothe ourselves, but if you wait until that moment when you're feeling a panic, then you're going to say, no way, I'm not going to do that, but you can do it in advance. So some examples. So the big one is to know that cortisol is metabolized in a few minutes, and so in an hour, most of the cortisol is gone from your system, But while it's in your system, everything looks bad. So every alternative thing you think of doing about, you're only going to see the bad side of it. So you need to do something fun when your cortisol is surging to give it time to metabolize. Otherwise, you'll just trigger more and then you'll be in a loop because more cortisol will trigger more threat-seeking, will trigger more cortisol. So how can you do something fun? You need to have like an advanced plan of this is what I'm going to do when I feel bad. And when you have that advanced plan, um, you may think, well, nothing is really fun, or I, I don't have the opportunity because I'm at work. But you can plan activities that you can do anywhere that can um, give you time that your mind and body are focused on something that's not threatening. So if you think I'm going to go for a walk, but while you're on the walk, you're just angrily thinking about he said, she said, then that doesn't work. Or if you're going to do yoga, but then you're thinking about how you hate your body, that doesn't work. So this is a time to actually do something you like. Can cortisol kill
0: you if we have too oh, much of it? You're saying like if yeah. we give this double dose, I could just visualize, you know, maybe men in particular, you know, having more testosterone, they might get more cortisol in their system if they're, you know, threatened or worried or whatever the triggers they have like that. But can you get too much of it? Oh, yes, yes, yes.
1: And um, there is a lot written about uh, what is generally called stress disease. And it's the physiology and and it's still being researched and it's controversial, but I think it causes physical tension and the physical tension makes it harder for your body to repair and to eliminate um, things that should be eliminated and renew and replenish but um let's talk about the difference between cortisol and testosterone so it's so fascinating in the animal world we've all heard that cliche about a gazelle being threatened by a predator now a gazelle will never attack the predator so very few prey animals will attack their predator But when they do attack, in those rare instances, testosterone is what causes it. So testosterone is, in human language, we could say anger. It's that feeling that I'm not going to run away, I'm going to fight back. And an animal brain is very smart about when it fights back, because it wants to survive. So it calculates its options, and most of the time you're better off escaping the threat. So anger or fighting back is only when you're desperate. And so on the one hand, you know, sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's just a sign that you're feeling desperate and you're better off without it.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting. So what about this rubber ducky method? So um, I got this from people
1: who are computer science experts, and it's called the rubber ducky debugging method for debugging computer code. And I found that I was accidentally using it in my daily life. So when something goes wrong, you get out your rubber ducky and you put it on your desk and you tell it the problem. And in a couple of minutes, the answer comes to you, even though you tried everything and I have this problem so often where I think I'm going to do some simple task um, online, usually some online thing that I think I'm going to log into, like updating my website, and like something technical goes wrong, and I've tried everything, and I'm so upset, and frankly, I sort of make a groaning, sometimes screaming noise, and my husband hears it, and he comes running. And I tell him the story and I'm so frustrated because I know that my husband doesn't know this tool and he's not going to be able to fix it. And yet, while I'm telling him, I think of the answer. And then I'm embarrassed because I was like so upset and wasted his time and there was the answer right there, but I totally didn't know the answer when a minute ago. So somehow verbalizing your stuckness helps you suddenly see the solution
0: but isn't that like intuition though I mean the whole idea of what you did was you stepped away from the problem and you started thinking about something else and in your case you were sort of expressing the problem and then the answer came to you yes exactly exactly But um, so often people think,
1: oh, I need someone to talk to, I need someone to understand me, and then they're frustrated that other people don't understand. But what I've discovered is every problem is so unique that no one's going to understand completely. And when you look for someone who can help you, then sometimes you just get frustrated because they give you a different view and they didn't understand and you're wasting time with their view. So I guess I feel like the rubber ducky helps me accept that my problem is unique and this urge, this longing for someone who has all the answers is that's my inner child, my inner mammal wanting um, protection. But really, it's, you know, what you said is, is... it, what is intuition? It's your mammal brain and your um, verbal brain needing to work together. We have two brains because we need both.
0: Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, let's get on to some fun stuff now. You just finished this book, Tame Your Anxiety, Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness. Now, we talked about cortisol and we talked about the stress and some of the things that are associated with that. I want to know about the how. what makes people happy. Good question. So what makes people happy
1: is dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. And these are chemicals we've inherited from earlier mammals, and they're not designed to be on all the time. They are triggered by very specific reasons that are easy to understand when you know what they do in animals. And that helps us sort of relax about that modern idea that we're meant to be having them every minute and everybody else is getting them So in in a monkey, just for example, if a monkey sees a piece of fruit and it's hungry and it has to climb toward the fruit to meet its needs, so dopamine is triggered when you say, I can get that fruit. There's something that will meet my needs. There's a reward, and my, I can reach it. So that's the good feeling we like. And then each step closer to the reward, as the monkey sees the fruit get closer and closer, it stimulates more dopamine. But when the monkey is just about to grab the fruit, that's the peak. And then the dopamine stops because it's already done its job.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: why we all have that sort of up and downness.
0: And then after you get that shot of, of dopamine and then it fades away, is that, you know, sort of that, um, oh, I don't know, sort of the letdown thing, you know? And then yeah. we're constantly going after that because we're, you know, hooked on it to some degree. We like the, the dopamine okay. and all the other fun stuff that comes along with it. I guess and being able that feeling of accomplishment as well.
1: Yes, yes. And when you say we liked it and we're hooked on it, That's how our brain is designed to work, and that's why we want to be hooked on healthy ways of stimulating it rather than unhealthy ways of stimulating it, but the actual desire for it is natural. Otherwise, a monkey would starve to death, or it wouldn't look for food until it was already out of energy. I always use the example if you're a lion, in order to chase a gazelle, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to get it. And if the lion waited until it was starving, then it would just die. So, dopamine is what makes you feel good about chasing rewards.
0: Very interesting. I was trying to think, what are some other ways that we can trigger dopamine in, in addition to that to, for food or for accomplishments mm. and, and goal setting? Is, that, is there another way that dopamine is can, we, we can trigger it while we're sitting in our desk looking at a computer?
1: yeah isn't this the challenge of life right um and this is why people often have that treadmill feeling so uh just to answer your specific question when i'm sitting at my desk looking at a computer trip advisor does it for me
0: really (laughs) so you get to sort of dream about the next trip you're going to take then.
1: yes and you know what my husband has the opposite feeling like he many people I hate all, making all these decisions, and other people love it. The same with, like, remodeling. I love remodeling, and my friends hate it. So every one of us has those dopamine circuits built from our individual past experience. And to tell you the truth, when I when you're in high school is when you're in your peak neuroplasticity. And at that time, I was very shy, and I did not go to the prom. And when everyone else was going to the prom... I was earning money to go to Paris, and I went to Paris.
0: <sighs> of course you would be. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,
1: so, and I wired my brain to say, this is the way to feel rewarded. And all of us, then, we, whatever reward circuit we have, we tend to, frankly, abuse that circuit. So the power in life comes from having a few different dopamine strategies.
0: I was thinking about the dopamine in that, and I was thinking about when I posed the question about how can we sort of trigger dopamine and feel happy while we're stuck at a computer doing work, whether it be like yourself writing a book or whether Uh, it's me looking at other, you know, web pages and designs and different things like that. And sometimes I'll find myself and I do this, you know, frequently, I could be working on a project and then I think, Oh, I'm going to go look at luxury real estate. Or when I look at how (laughs) homes are decorated and then when you express that, that was my way, my body needing dopamine and telling me or my brain rather saying, Hey, go look at this and get a hit of a dopamine. Then go, back and finish the project again or I look at food recipes or things of that nature but I I just do it like in the middle of it and I guess in a way it's it's my brain saying you need something to keep on going or to keep you uh, you know focused or whatever. That's a great question
1: because um, as you know some people consider themselves um, ADD and Uh, or feel like they're distractible. So let's talk about how a person can get dopamine while being on task, because you probably use this tool with restraint and get some work done. But let's say a person feels challenged of like, well, then I'd be on that site all day and never get any work done. (laughs) So so one way I do it is um, everyone can choose like the time window that they think is realistic. So let's just say a half hour. So if you can have a half hour of totally focused effort, that's really good, you're gonna get something done. So don't try to view your life as like endless burden, but say, what can I do in the next half hour in which I'm gonna feel sense of accomplishment and then give myself a small healthy reward? And the small healthy reward, although some people would use perhaps a cookie and then sit more at their desk, but you need to get up, okay? So even if you're getting up to get the cookie, I, you know, I mean, not that I'm like, So um, divide your work into small chunks and have it a chunk that's an end in itself so you can feel a sense of accomplishment by the end of it. Start out with a specific idea of what you're going to get done. Celebrate that you did it and then move your body.
0: Very good. But I like the idea that your brain subconsciously or otherwise is telling you that you need to do this. You need this um, this expression, this, you know, boost of, you know, positive happiness and so on and so forth to, and then go back to do the the mundane kind of work. Well, tell me how anxiety, what anxiety is exactly and how to handle it in all forms, such as like in our relationships, whether it's personal or professional, parenting or careers and all that. So give us a little hint.
1: Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Uh, So first, um, I'm going to give you my perspective, and I guess I should give you the medical disclaimer, right? So whatever's the usual medical disclaimer that everyone can seek medical advice in their own way. So if we look at the animal origins of anxiety, like if a monkey sat around saying, oh, somebody might eat me, then that would trigger so much cortisol that the monkey would undermine its own survival skills. So what do, what would be and like if a gazelle said, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna uh, be surrounded by lions forever. So what's the good if I just escape this lion? There'll be another lion." So so that kind of that's what the verbal brain, the human cortex can do because we can anticipate the future. We can anticipate every possible thing that may go wrong, and that's the circuit. So let's just say that our brain has evolved to. Rely on expectations, you know, before it invests energy in your next step, it has to have a positive expectation. So if you're generating negative expectations, you're triggering cortisol, you need to shift to a positive expectation, which, again, it's just a circuit. It's just a chemical So let's say that everyone has negative circuits with negative chemicals. So how do you steer from those negative circuits to a positive circuit? So I think of it like an analogy of building an exit ramp to say, okay, I'm on the negative highway now, but I'm going to build exit ramps to get onto a positive highway. So first you have to build the positive highway, and then you have to notice that you're on the negative highway and say, okay, I'm going to take the exit. So a simple way of thinking about this, uh, let's use a very simple example. Person who's smoking, if they tell themselves, don't smoke, don't smoke, that doesn't work because it just reminds them to smoke because your brain hears the word. So instead, it's like, what do I want to do the next time I have an urge to smoke? And Let's talk, you also raised, um, let's talk about social anxiety because often our negative feelings are triggered by social circuits, circuits we built from social interactions in the past, frankly, because our lives are rather safe and we're safe from physical harm, which is why our brain exaggerates the threat of social harm because we're safe. So we have all of this threat equipment to look for social threats. Another huge aspect of this, our ancestors evolved to live in tribes or troops or herds. And in the modern world, that's frowned on. So we're expected to feel comfortable in every group and leave one herd and and join another, to leave the herd behind and be on our own. And that has dopamine rewards and serotonin rewards, but it doesn't stimulate your oxytocin because that's the herd chemical, the bonding chemical. Mm-hmm. And so when you leave the herd, you feel like it's a survival threat. And when you hear animals making noise, what they're often saying is, I'm here, where are you? I'm here, where are you? Because we feel like it's an urgent survival threat when we're not with the herd. So that's a big part of it.
0: Very interesting. So let's go back and talk about the happy brain, the happy, healthy brain. What are the seven habits to building power over our brain chemistry? So, um, I have
1: a number of different tools in my book that, um, a person can just think of as like a pantry. Um, and you're going to the pantry to just get different ideas. So, um, Let's see. Laughing is one of them, Mm -hmm. because laughing stimulates endorphin. I haven't really gone into that. Uh, Endorphin is the one that we're not designed to chase because it's only stimulated when you're in real physical pain. But laughter stimulates a little bit because you're, um, you're jiggling certain muscles. And many people are not getting laughter because, well, for all different reasons. So I talk in the book about how to make space in your life for laughter. Now, another one is to mirror a person who already feels tame. Um, If you see a person and you say, wow, they seem so cool, and sort of watch what they're doing, and you actually have mirror neurons that will take that in. So that works subconsciously. So another is to use your mind and body together. And a fun way of thinking about that is the sort of the cliche of people at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting who are knitting. And I've used this myself, you know, crocheting. So somehow, you know, using your keeping your hands busy. So another one is variety and a simple like a very simplistic example would be putting a different salad dressing every day or something, just like if you're trying to lose weight and you're feeling like sort of dreary, find ways to put variety into your life because variety stimulates dopamine for an interesting reason that um, when an animal seeks a rare, like a food that's not available all the time, That supplements the nutrition. Like if they're always eating X and then they say, oh, look, there's Y. So they get better nutrition. Um, So uh, one is reward yourself with free time. I think a lot of people like what they want more than anything is just a minute to rest and yet they don't give it to themselves. So I don't know if I've done seven yet or should I keep going or not?
0: When you were talking about variety, though, I always um, talk to my own clients about, you know, like to stimulate their own intuitive uh, voice in them is, you know, familiarity. If there's some quote, familiarity breeds contempt kind of thing that, you know, if you do the same thing day after day after day, you're never going to see what's really there. Even if you're in the supermarket, you go down the same pickle aisle and and you see the same, (laughs) you never really see it. And then we get in a panic when the grocery store shuts down for 24 hours hours and you go back in and they have rearranged everything and you're in a panic <laughs> but then you're forced to rely on your intuition to figure out where did they put the, you know the dill pickles or the olives and that well in the same vein when you talk about variety and and doing different things is I always recommend people to, to you know take a different route to the office whether yeah. you're walking or you take the same road you know, yeah. down there to a different path because you won't believe you could help you connect spiritually. Maybe like you're saying that dopamine, you get to see something beautiful yeah. that you wouldn't have otherwise seen, you know, a yeah. tree flowering or the sun and that, that, that. So, yeah, I think variety is important for just human, you know, just to exist in, in our human thing. Otherwise, I think we'd all would probably just sort of, you know, we be, become nothing. Yeah. So here's a fascinating way of looking at it.
1: Um, Our brain has billions of neural pathways, but most of them are not connected. And actually, in in youth, we start losing the ones that we haven't connected. So when you go on like sort of the interstate highways of your brain, it's so effortless. And that's why people repeat themselves. And that's why people don't realize they're doing it, because they're so used to using effortless flow that they don't build the skill of going down the small path in their brain and building new paths and building new connections. But once you do that, then it becomes easier and easier.
0: Very good. So like to, one of the methods to rewire your brain for happiness is explore new opportunities, whether that's reading a different book you might not have really been into, maybe, you know, maybe literature or something you thought might have been too intellectual for you, uh, uh, taking a different route to the office um, and mirror mm-hmm. somebody that you might admire their energy in a way. I mean, you were talking about a lot of things earlier about that, and I and I couldn't help but think that had to be part of intuition when you say, you know, generate that intuition, but um, generating a new way of paths and that, that you sort of visualize that in a way. And once you start visualizing things, then that sort of opens up the door for things to actually start happening without you necessarily doing a lot of physical effort there. Would you agree?
1: Yes, absolutely. And you're just visualizing that your brain has like lots and lots of pathways, but most of them haven't been developed. And you're in the habit of preferring a paved highway because the undeveloped pathway seems threatening and it is threatening because it's not connected to your prior knowledge of rewards and threats so it's like really going through an uncharted forest and i was just on a hike with friends and i said geez imagine when people came here and there was not even a path yeah. and here like people complain if the park service has allowed a tiny rock in the road you know
0: That's true. We're so spoiled anymore. But anyway, so your book, Tame Your Anxiety, Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness. I have to ask, what motivated you to write it?
1: Oh, thanks. Well, when I was young, like everyone, I had my ups and downs and I thought, oh, I will be happy all the time if only this and if only that. And I tried to give my kids and my students everything that would make them happy all the time. And I discovered, duh, that my kids were not happy all the time and my students were not happy all the time. And I went to the other social science professors and I said, hmm, our theories don't seem to be working. And their kids weren't happy either. So um, I I wanted to learn more about the brain. And I found it such a relief to understand that our happy chemicals have a job to do and they're not meant to just flow for no reason
0: and so you've written this book which is i think is really fascinating and addressing all the i guess the the cortisol and why it's there and why we actually has a purpose in our life as well as being something that may cause anxiety disorders and and some people i guess if we have too much of that type of thing so you didn't go to the prom because you were saving money to go to Paris. So then that asked me, too, did you feel like at that time that that you didn't want to, like, socially uh, fit, or do you think that God had a bigger mission for you and said, oh, no, no, Loretta, we have a bigger plan for you, darling. You are going go to go and work, and you're going to go to Paris, and you're going to start coming <laughs> up with all these experiences that make you go and you study the brain and become this expert about the brain and the chemicals and so on and so forth.
1: And there were a lot of disappointments between A and B. (laughs) Um, But the way I explain it, um, just so that listeners can find what their own circuits were. um, You know how a lot of kids, when they live in a distressed home and they want to get out of the house? But in my case, um, getting out of the house made my mother really mad. So I, I stuck closer to home and i didn't build a lot of social skills and then as i got and and when i was young i learned that doing homework was one of the acceptable ways to escape from my mother uh-huh. so i actually unlike most kids you know i like that because it was just something that protected me from her well Earning money was another thing. So when I was in high school, I was thrilled to have a part-time job because it got me out of the house in an acceptable way. And so I started feeling rich when I was a kid yeah. because I got to oh, that keep was the – a wonderful
0: money. feeling, isn't it? When you make yeah. all that money, you have to pay rent and there's just you know, an abundance yeah. of it.
1: <laughs> and then I was in this French – I was put into a French class where they taught me that Paris was like the place where everybody was happy all the time. And so I put those, those like random experiences so any listener can figure out like the random experiences of when they were young. It's like, oh, so that's how I got to that and that and that.
0: Very interesting. And so how many years have you been studying in the, um, I guess, the brain and the chemicals? So, um, I was a professor
1: of management until I was 50, and then I got this letter about my, early, my retirement benefits, and that built a worm in my brain, and I took early retirement because I had done the same thing for 20 years, and I was like, enough, I can't do it anymore. So, I left, and I had the opportunity to start over. I started researching um, in, uh, because I was interested in the animal brain. And then I wrote um, a lot of books, uh, started self-publishing, and slowly they got commercially published. The first one was Habits of a Happy Brain, Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin, and Endorphin Levels. And then after that, I had The Science of Positivity, Stop Negative Thought Patterns by Changing Your Brain
0: Chemistry. I guess I'll ask one final question on on the happiness thing. Is there something in addition, is there something that in our diets that help trigger some of these chemicals for the the better? or is it just constantly, yes, as you described earlier, creating a paths visually to you know to go towards something more positive rather than you know, a negative anxiety type of thing?
1: I know there's a lot um said about diet, and if it works for people, fine. but frankly, these chemicals are made out of protein and fat, mm-hmm. and so <laughs> it's maybe not what people want to hear, protein and fat. And sleep is huge. I think you make the reserves of the chemicals while you're sleeping. But um one other thing that um I, I really should have mentioned, when I said that animals are competitive, they are mammals are hierarchical. And this is why we drive ourselves crazy. It's really important to know. And I wrote another book on this called I'm Mammal. So animals actually have status hierarchies. And any energy they have left after they've found food, they waste, they invest it fighting for status. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it's so easy to see that that's what people are doing. And when you know that your mammal brain does that, you can just relax and say, you know, it feels urgent because of my mammal brain, but I know that it's not really urgent. But in the mammal world, your genes will get wiped off the face of the earth if you don't get enough status to get mating opportunity.
0: Very good. Well, I have to say this has been an insightful and interesting conversation, and I encourage everybody to go read your book, Tame Your Anxiety, Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness. Even if you're already happy, you can always be happier and, and learn about what the, those drugs, I guess the, 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 not drugs, but what the chemicals do in our, in our physical body and why they're there and the purpose they serve. And you can buy this book, I guess, anywhere, particularly on Amazon. And what is your website? I'd like to encourage people there to go visit that as well. Great, Um,
1: innermammalinstitute.org, innermammalinstitute.org. And there's information about all of my books, and I also have free videos that explain this in a very short and fun way.
0: Great. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Tune in next time, as there's always something new to learn on Ariel Talk Time. If you're a professional lifestyle consultant looking to expand your brand, gain more recognition, or to be featured with an exceptional group of inspiring professionals, join Ariel. Visit ariel.com.